Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like the ball, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. It's a bonus podcast, recapping round one. Sam, how you doing, man? Doing good, Steve. It was, uh, well, I don't want to say it was chaos because it was pretty, you know, as the, by the numbers for the first few picks. And then it, then it started to cook as we went along. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. We were we were live on the YouTube channel uh, for all of round one. If you guys are listening right now, we'll be there tonight again. Rounds two and three all night, covering every single pick. Thanks if, to everybody who tuned in. If you were keeping track, the NFL with the bunch of geriatric GMs that we were mocking, you know, who couldn't had a guy in a Winnebago in the driveway, and you know, every conceivable way of screwing this up pre-draft seamless like start to finish not a single hiccup no technical problems nobody made any kind of mess up us at pff you know with the with the millennials on staff who know how to use tech we made a mess of it we did austin made a mess of it uh, before we get into it the the zoom calls are very sensitive i mean our guy (laughs) tyler who runs the video over here and has a newborn and hasn't slept for the last three and a half weeks. I mean, yeah. he's been fantastic. And the poor guy had to rearrange everything just to get four people up on the screen. It takes like so much prep and you got to know who it is and nobody can leave the call. And uh, there's all these rules, right? Yeah, it's to true. make sure Zoom I, works. I said we messed it up. Really, it was Austin. Like, it was Austin. It. Two for one yeah. drafts. Start podcast. to finish. Austin made a mess of it right before we went on air. Jacked everything. Tyler desperately scrambling to fix it. And then Austin broke it later on as well. All right. So, well, yeah, the millennials zero NFL geriatric GMs one. Yeah, they did a great job. 
at the NFL. The NFL pulled it off. Let's get into all of our uh, our first round analysis. You mentioned the top of the draft. I, I, we don't have to go through every single pick. We'll hit our best and our our favorite and our least favorite. But the top of the draft pretty much went as is, as you said, right? Joe Burrow, number yeah. one. Chase Young to the Redskins at two. Jeffrey Akuda to Ohio State at three. And then the Giants took a tackle. And then Tua fell to five. I mean, so a lot of things happened. I think story-wise at the top there, though, was the rumor that, hey, the Giants and Lions said they weren't really getting trade offers. I thought the Dolphins at five getting Tua played it extremely well to say, hey, we're not going to give up these extra draft picks. I I don't know if it was risky or if they just had good information, but they got their quarterback at five and still had those other two first-round picks. Well, and more to the point, Steve, who did they play particularly well in the lead-up to the draft? Me. Oh, you. I, you were the sucker. I still don't understand what the point was. <laughs> did they know, so did they know that the Chargers wanted Herbert and they were like, oh, yeah, we're all in on Herbert. Trade up and go get him. No, and, and waste I, a, what I do they think the whole purpose was to diminish the view that they liked Tua, hmm. right? It's so because honestly, heading into this draft, the perception was Tua was going to slide, right? Yeah. I don't think they cared if anybody jumped over them if it was for Herbert. I think the whole purpose was let's put out disinformation so that everybody thinks we are not on Tua. And actually, honestly, if someone jumped them for Herbert, it was good because they're not in on him, right? They want Tua. So it's let's put out all the information saying, you know what? We were not in love with Tua. We kind of like Herbert. If that entices the Chargers to jump above them and take Herbert, that's one less pick they need to worry about. Um, And otherwise, everything was sort of promoting this slide from Tua. Just so, yeah, I, I think the thing that made it weird to me is that all of that disinform, all of that what has become disinformation after the fact came out so close to the draft that it felt like bullshit. Yeah. And it ended up being so yeah. you, on the other hand, just bought in, completely just bought, bought in hook, line and sinker and oh, yeah. dove off the cliff with it. I'd be a bad reporter. I'd grab one source and just run with it. Oh, is that what you, you said? Yeah, Great. you would be the parrot reporter of, oh, that's that's what's happening. I'm oh, glad. Let me tweet it quick. I'm glad I'm not a reporter. I, the top five for me, though, was just characterized by people actually not screwing it up. Right. So much of drafting, I think, honestly, is not is just getting out of your own way and not overthinking it and making a balls of it. So. You know, Cincinnati had the easiest one. They obviously didn't make, didn't make a mess of that with Burrow. Redskins took Chase Young. Uh, you know, the the criticism generally on our draft show, particularly from the the analytics guys, the forecast guys, is, well, you should have traded down, maximize your value. And that's true, but it requires the other end of the phone call, right? It's somebody's got to be offering you the pick right. in order for you to trade down and make it worthwhile. Let's say from the for let's give them the benefit of the doubt because we don't know otherwise and say they didn't get a suitable offer either of them to move down, at which point the Redskins took the best player for them. The Lions took the best player for them. You could argue Akuda over Chase Young for the Redskins, but not to the point where I'm going to make an issue of it. Giants took a tackle. They took the right one by PFF's board. You know, four guys very close together. They took the top one. And then the Dolphins didn't make a mess of it. They took Tua. They right. did the smart thing. They didn't, you know, the the discussion, the narrative coming up to the draft was all about risk, right? Who is the riskier pick? The guy who's a good football player but has had an injury history or the guy that's not a good football player 
but hasn't but has been fairly durable and you don't worry about him missing games. Honestly, I don't think that's a particularly close conversation. And ultimately, the Dolphins came down on what I think is the right side. They did. They, they took the safer, the safer choice. When everybody said the safer choice that they were leaning towards was Justin Herbert. We'll go, we'll go team by team after the draft and get into what it means because I think there's some interesting storylines there, obviously, with you know Chase Young. The Redskins' D-line is loaded. The Lions replenish at corner. The fact that you mentioned the Giants get Andrew Thomas, our top tackle, probably the you know, top three run-blocking grade last year, top three pass-blocking grade. I thought that he would drop a little bit because of the combine hype. Turns out that wasn't the case. And then Tua at five for the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins, I think, were, were two out of three in their picks. We'll get into the rest of them as well. Um, and then Justin Herbert at six. And look, I, I've done mock drafts previously during uh, draft season here where I took Herbert at six for the Chargers. I didn't like it. I didn't sprint to the podium. I kind of like trudgingly went to the podium and uh, handed in the card, called it in virtually. Really? Hmm. By the way, I got my draft board all laminated here. Hard copy. You got yeah. it laminated? Yeah. We have a laminator. Um, my wife laminated it for me. Really excited. Uh, it doesn't help or anything. It just helps me you know, look like, hmm, just look at my, looking at my laminated uh, play card here. Um, so hmm. I didn't love it, but you have to find a quarterback, right? You have to chase a quarterback. I, I think the Chargers, though, um, it was too high for Herbert and. Then they traded back up into the first round to get Kenneth Murray, a linebacker yeah. I'm just not terribly excited about. And I know the NFL was trying to – they were saying that they were splitting hairs between Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray. I didn't see it with Murray. I think he works downhill really well. He's really explosive. But let's discuss the Chargers overall. Two moves, giving up extra draft capital for Murray, taking Herbert at six that I think are questionable after a really good offseason so far. Yeah, I I would agree. I think six is where this draft started to get interesting, right? It's the five went the, the, safely. They went the right kind of decision. They went the way they should have gone. And then the Chargers are the first team that really had this major decision to make, which is, do we think that Justin Herbert can be the guy, right? And particularly for that team, because our narrative all the way up has been, this team is actually in pretty good shape, except the quarterback spot, right? They've got Tyrod Taylor. They've been talking about how, you know, they're actually Anthony Lynn is all set to go with him. He's done it before. He's keen to do that. Um, but the point is, this is a roster that can challenge now, but they don't really have the quarterback to particularly because they're in a division with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Herbert doesn't fix that. Like the chances of Herbert being better than Tyrod Taylor year one, I would think are minimal. Um, so they, I think they could be better in different ways though. I think he could be sure, more aggressive but not to the point where I think it's a net win. I don't, I don't know that that's helping you. I honestly, so the one thing that made the one thing that was intriguing to me about this idea of let's roll with Tyrod. If you're going to be subpar at quarterback, I think you're better off doing it that way, right? Like you're not going to match Patrick Mahomes by trying to be Patrick Mahomes. You're just going to be a worse version and you're going to lose. If you're going to try, if you're going to be worse than Patrick Mahomes, I don't think it's a bad strategy to try and beat them with a different style. I don't think going, just trying to be a worse version of their offense is the way to do it. Herbert might end up being a, a far more aggressive passer, which in certain situations is really useful. On the other hand, Tyrod Taylor will be significantly more careful with the football and probably more efficient you, you, you and brings more in the run game. You can't possibly be suggesting that they should try to score fewer points just because the Chiefs score a lot of points. 
I'm not suggesting they try and score fewer points. I'm suggesting that that ball control style of offense is not a bad way to combat an Mm. offense that you can't match. In one game samples, maybe. But you got to score. You have to figure out how to score more points. You don't need to worry about beating them over 16 games. You need to worry that at some point, A, you need to play them twice. That's just bad luck. And B, at some point in the postseason, you're probably going to have to knock them off. You don't have to beat them over 16 games. You just have to get into the playoffs and then figure out how to do it from there. I mean, you you, you can't just – you have to try to beat the teams in your division, but you sure. got to do it with an explosive offense. Herbert gives you that chance. Tyrod is pathologically conservative, to use your old Alex Smith phrase, but not in a great way the way he takes sacks. I think Herbert at least – they're going to say, hey, you got Mike Williams, you have Keenan Allen, you have Hunter Henry. we got to throw the ball down the field. And the one thing that I would maybe hang my hat on if, you have, if you're a Chargers, I'm trying to skew positive here for you guys, right. for, for Chargers fans. Point. But with Herbert, down the stretch, Oregon did unleash him a little bit with his legs, let him run a little bit. You have to try to tap into that. Now, he's not a Tyrod type of runner, but he has some athleticism. My concern with Herbert is he doesn't have outside-the-pocket playmaking skills. So, you mm-hmm. know, people have compared him to Josh Allen. Um, because there's similarities. They're big, strong, arm, athleticism, accuracy issues, right? But Josh Allen, one of his best things was his outside-the-pocket just feel and playmaking. Like, he almost saw the field better outside the pocket at Wyoming than what he saw inside the pocket. Herbert, when I made my comparison a couple years ago, or or a couple weeks back, that he was Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill and Josh Allen and somebody else, and you throw him into a blender, the Mariota piece of the recipe was inconsistent footwork and just a guy that should be making plays outside the pocket who's just not that good at it. It's like, Mariota, hey, you're athletic. You do all this, but you just don't make plays outside of structure. That's the my concern for Herbert, right? Like, if you're getting this really good athletic player, and the, and the reason why the Mahomes comparisons for anybody are just absurd, like, Mahomes was so comfortable just playing backyard football, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, like, it, it's like you either are or you're not. Herbert's not. So you're not getting when you say, hey, six, six with a big arm and athletic. It's like you're not even you're not using that. You're not tapping into it. So that'd be my concern. I mean, when you when you start to when people say that kind of quick bullet point style of uh, plus points, they come with certain connotations. Right. It's like you're you're big, athletic and have a strong arm. And therefore, you're good at these things. Like that, it doesn't follow for him. Like he's got those things, but they don't actually lead to anything. So they're just like interesting, <laughs> just like interesting numbers, data points. They don't actually generate the kind of thing that you're they're supposed to. I yeah. The more I think about it, the more I think that this draft is actually disastrous so far for the Chargers. I think Herbert is just a bad move that high. I think it's it's a risk certain teams probably should have taken because they were in a situation where it made some sense. I don't know that anybody should have taken it in the top 10 and the chargers of all teams because of their dynamic. And because I think if you're not going to be able to match the chiefs in terms of a high octane offense, you're actually better placed to do it the way they could, which is execute that old bill style offense with Tyrod Taylor at the head of like a powerful dominant run game and try and keep the chiefs off the field. Um, so I don't know that it helps them at all. And then trading, well, A, trading back up into the first round. If you're doing that for a not quarterback, it's just a bad move, right? Period. You're losing value and probably not gaining an awful lot in terms of um, quality of player. You're basically, you're basically 
it is an exercise in hubris, right? You're saying that I, I individually am a superior analyst to you, and I know that the player I'm going for is more valuable than having the draft capital, having the extra shots to basically gamble on more lottery tickets. It's that in and of itself is bad process, right? Um, and then for the player to be Kenneth Murray, I think it's just, just bad. Just bad. It's more than just, I know this player is the guy. This is also the need-driven approach as well. The Chargers are like, hey, we had Thomas Davis. He was getting old. He's gone. We need a linebacker. All right, I'm going to get the linebacker. The linebacker you get at 37 might not be that different. Might actually be higher on our draft board because now look, I'm not saying our draft board's perfect, especially when it comes to linebacker, athletic linebackers. You know, if we're going to miss on somebody at PFF, it's on an athletic linebacker who didn't produce in, in college and could do it at the NFL level. But I'm looking at my page. He's on the back of my page here. He's on the backside here. Right. You had to flip pages. Yeah. To get to Kenneth Murray. And there's in the 75 round. on the f- there's 75 on the front. Right. So it's not great. Um, when I watch Murray play, so I watch Murray and Patrick Queen play back to back. Queen moves like a safety. So such good feel. Like his back pedal looks like a defensive back. He gets good depth. He does all these really good things in zone coverage. Kenneth Murray's best plays are just crushing linebackers, uh, crushing running backs in the flat, blowing up screens, working downhill. And then anytime he sits in zone, all I saw was his eyes go like, hey, there's, hey, look, there's a crossing route. Hey, look, there's another one. Hey, that guy's open. Let me go tackle him. I, like he was just did not have a good feel for zone. We're not going to spend, a, you know, an hour well, on this whole thing. But so the, the whole question process isn't ask, great. The question I would ask is what is the point? Like the, we talked before about how the Chargers have almost assembled this like perfect modern day NFL defense, right? You bring in Chris Harris, you get him as your slot defender, you get to kick Desmond King to safety, you get to use Derwin James as this like Isaiah Simmons, jack of all trades, um, in fact, master of all trades, not even jack of all trades. You get to use Nazir Adderley as your deep free safety. They've essentially assembled a defensive backfield that could potentially play dime, six defensive backs, basically all the time, use Derwin James as this um, nickel linebacker, this dime linebacker, and be insanely effective matching up with basically any offense that trots out there. Now, if you want to add a linebacker to that, you need to, you should think about it in those terms, right? That we're almost here to the, so there's going to be like one linebacker, right? Who's the one linebacker that I want on the field? I, a guy can do anything and be successful because everybody else is, is the secondary. Well, I, I can see what their reasoning is. They just evaluated him differently. The reasoning is we've built this perfect defense. Give me another great athlete like Kenneth Murray. I mean, he's a very good athlete. He flies around the field. And if you are going to run dime and he's going to be your one linebacker sitting there next to Derwin James, from a skill set standpoint, their other options are Denzel Perryman, who's a big thumper and slow, Nick Vigil, who's slow, uh, Uchenna and Wosu, who just hasn't really developed as a former pass rusher, who's a good, you know, movable chess piece on defense. So I get the reasoning. I just don't completely agree with the with the evaluation. Like they got the style type of player, but essentially you got to give up two players to do it. As we've said before, you have to give up right. two players to get one. So overall, don't love what the Chargers have done. I, so yeah, the I, I really don't like that. I would have been really intrigued to see them even or, make the same move, or. They had some foresight. 
and they said, look, we know the Chiefs are drafting a pass-catching running back God, stop it. at 32. Um, We're going to combat that at 23 with Kenneth Murray. I would have been really intrigued to see them, like I say, even make the same move if they did it for corner. Because cornerback, I think, is the one sort of piece that's missing from that master stroke dime defense that they could run. If they just get one more quality starting caliber corner, you yeah. roll out there with this dime defense that he else can combat and that actually has a shot at slowing down the Chiefs in a way nobody else does. I wonder if they think he's got a, you know, again, you're not always trying to just beat the Chiefs, but you have to have those things in mind. I wonder if they think he can help with Travis Kelsey or whatever <laughs> Mike, it might be. Uh, so, Mike had anyway. a great stat that he tweeted out at some point that, you know, and God knows how much playing time the guy had four pass breakups. That's it. He played over 3,000 right. snaps, I think That's it was, in college. Like, I mean, it was, he it was had absurd. an absolutely yeah. amazing, mind-bogglingly, mind-boggling lack of pass production in terms of breaking up passes, intercepting passes. Like, that is a, con- a massive concern for a first-round linebacker. All right. We can't spend too much time on the charges, but we don't love exactly what they've done. Um, Derek Brown went at number seven for the Carolina yes. Panthers, and here's – um, another one where, look, we don't want to sit there and say like, hey, every single pick needs to have perfect positional value and you got to get all wide receivers in corners. I mean, it gets old at one point when we're if we're Can saying I take the that. other side of it. I don't hate uh, this. Right. And the reason I don't ahead. hate it, this is this stems from something Chris said. It comes back. We had this cocktail hour and, you know, obviously it was like everyone in PFF mock Chris for putting Derek Brown up in the top 10. Right. And yeah. this is all based off our collective belief that Derek Brown is just not a good enough pass rusher to impact at the next level in the way you need to if you're going to draft the top 10 tackle. And we've talked all the time about how Mike's comp for him has been Akeem Hicks. And even if you get like Akeem, even if you get Akeem Hicks, it's probably not worth a top 10 pick because Akeem Hicks just even at his best, he'll push the pocket. He doesn't really, you know, pressure a guy that much. But. Chris's comp for him was Fletcher Cox. Now, that, I mean, those are stylistically not dissimilar players, but the difference between the two of them is pretty significant. Like, in the last two years, Fletcher Cox is second to Aaron Donald in terms of total pressures. In the last three years, he's right at the top as well. So the difference between Akeem Hicks and Fletcher Cox propels Derek Brown into the top 10, if that's what you believe. So it's not a dramatic diversion from like um you know in terms of evaluation you're pretty close to where we are but the difference is and i think a massive one in terms of where you value that guy and the other thing is like if you look at our numbers like his pass rush grade was good i mean i get that it's a college and it's because he's twice as strong as everyone else but at some point it's not crazy to believe that that translates and that you're still going to get this impact player yeah, and I think his point was like, hey, Fletcher Cox, for the most part, what, or he said, or who do you say? He gets, he's a six sack yeah. guy. Like, you know, use it now. Look, we don't use just one number to evaluate a pass rusher, but his point was he'll be a reasonable pass rusher. I, I it's viewed a good it, point go because I think, so, you know, we talk, sacks generally are a bad way of measuring pass rush, right? They, they fluctuate. They're not consistent. They, they blah, blah. But there are players who will, like, the Eagles have all of them. There are players who will always get lower sack totals than pressure totals because of some inherent inability to do whatever. Brandon Graham, for some reason, just has this inability to finish plays, and that's why he never gets... That's why you lose lunch every year. Um, Fletcher Cox, it's because he... 
it's because yeah, you did for Frederick Cox. It's because he wins with power, right? Most of the time he's not winning with quickness. It's because he's pressuring you by grabbing the guy in front of him and driving this dude back seven yards into the quarterback. And that's why he's only going to get six sacks, but he's going to get 75 pressures because he, that's how he gets like he is the he is the best power pass rusher in the NFL. If Derek Brown becomes that he's worth a top 10 pick. If he becomes that, and here's the issue, right? Fletcher Cox did start his career a little bit slow, especially sure. as a pass rusher, but sit, um, you know, sixties and fifties were his grades. Then at 89, 79, 90, 91, 85. I mean, he became an elite interior rusher with of course that 2018 season where he had 101 pressures, including the playoffs where we said, this is the best non Aaron Donald season mm-hmm. we've seen uh, since probably Geno Atkins in 2012. So um, if Derek Brown becomes that within the next four years, you know, maybe that's worth it. I, I viewed it a little differently. I, I viewed it as here's this new regime, right? Carolina is coming in much like Miami went last year. Like what's your first pick and, and the Raiders too last year. It's my Jeff new regime. Dolan. Give, give me solid. I want solid. I don't want to miss on my pick. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is the mentality, right? The Raiders took Cleveland Farrell. The Dolphins took Christian Wilkins. I got another guy that we said, he's a good run-stopping defensive tackle and get after the quarterback a little bit. And the Panthers said, let me set the tone with Derek Brown. Let's build in the trenches. Give me the one guy that I know is going to be a starter for our team for the next 10 years, the old 10-year starter deal, right? So that's Derek Brown. So I think that was the mentality that they took. It's conservative, yes. But um, look, Mike Renner ranked bustiness of prospects. (laughs) It was his favorite article. He, I want to rank mm. bustiness. Are they going to bust or not bust? And I think Derek Brown's the least busty of all the guys that went Surprising in the top 10 the way man. Mike wrote it up. I know, right? So, um, look, there's there's a safety component to mm-hmm. all of this. And for us, I think we would overall try to hit more yeah. home runs. Um, and he could be a home run. Well, so, yeah, but yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a interesting. Hit. It really is because that is – that is one of the because it's intangible, right? You can you can't actually quantify that, but it's it works in both directions because I think the NFL are really keen on guys who have a super high floor, right? Are really unlikely to be a total bust and will probably be pretty good, like Derek Brown. On the other, so we collectively would sort of hit swing for more home runs. On the other hand, the NFL is also way, way, way more inclined to take those swings on athletes. And effectively swing for the home run just in the wrong or in the, in the way that we wouldn't. So the Caleb on of the world, in theory, that's doing that, right? That's swinging for a guy who can be a home run. And we just haven't seen evidence it's going to happen. So we wouldn't do it. Well, that's the other intriguing part of this is like how it goes back to that upside debate. Like, how do you quantify this stuff? So we would look at it and say, here's this position. What did a guy do in college? How confident can we be that what he did in college translates at the NFL level? So therefore, defensive line PFF grades translate really well. So we take that baseline and say, if he's really good in college, he's got a high floor because we think it'll translate. You could look at corner like a CJ Henderson and say, he didn't grade great across the board, but scouting reports are good. Movement skills are good. Traits are good. And he at least flashed this high end play. So I'm not really confident that CJ Henderson's going to be a stud. But the upside's there because of the nature of the position, right? Um, because if the because if he pays off, it's it's massive. It's not little. It's massive, right? If Derek Brown pays off, it's pretty good. So that's how we view it, which is different from the NFL. Do, 
Now, I don't think that they're all safe because you have teams like the Seahawks who drafts completely differently, <laughs> but they're just evaluating upside different. Like somebody posted, here's their top picks the last few years. Jermaine Effetti, Malik McDowell, who's in the second round, Rashad Penny, LJ Collier, and then Jordan Brooks. Like all of those guys went, except maybe Malik McDowell, at places where people didn't expect him. So they're using some sort, they're using an upside-ish type of model. They're not worried about the floor. Um, I just don't know if they're interpreting I it. I thought my joke the right with way. the Seahawks was way funnier than it was given credit for. The Seahawks get their new nickel bank. No, jeez, oh, you don't the like linebacker. that. That's all right. I, nobody, I didn't get, I didn't right. get the the fanfare I was expecting. So we need to talk wide receivers for a little bit, but first, I I want to touch on the Jags because I think they had, you know, two first round picks, so they had one of the most interesting drafts. Man, not to gamble. They've gone C.J. Henderson. Which one? Them. That's what I mean. Totally. The, the summation of their picks is an insane yeah. gamble. They've gone C.J. Henderson and Caleb Von Chason with their two first-round picks, which is a – they're both the same guy, right? They are they are athletes. They are guys that have the tools, the physical ability. The There's, there's no reason looking at them that they shouldn't be really successful players and really productive players, and yet neither one of them necessarily has been. Um, Henderson in particular, it's almost impossible to find any production metric in terms of coverage that ranks him amongst the best corners in the NFL. It's all looking at him, looking at his freaky movement skills and saying that guy should be really good. And I think we can get it. And he got beat up and he got beat up in the SEC a little bit, but he hung tough with the LSU receivers, much like AJ Terrell from, from Clemson. They hung tough and, you know, got beat a few times. But he got beat against everyone as well. I can understand it. Yeah, I can understand, I understand it. it. I'm just saying that that's so you're looking at a guy and saying he's got freaky movement skills for a guy that big. He should be much better than this. And we think he will be once he gets here. And then Caleb Von Chason is the same thing, right? It's wow. Athletic. Look at him when he gets free on a stunt. Like it's all these incredible like movement. It's really special though. <laughs> when he gets free on a stunt, it and is And even Chris, incredible. when he was talking about him, it's like, he's got this ability to wiggle through these gaps. And like, that's just, that's not gonna like, that's not how you get production at the night. Anyway, the point is you get two guys that don't have the production, but like when you turn on the tape, it's wow. Look at those movement skills to get one of those guys. Okay. That's a gamble. I can see, I can get behind, right? You've got two first round picks. Let's take a swing on a guy with crazy upside for athleticism to do it twice in one draft in one first round. Yeah. So I, I would, I'm going to view it like this, right? Let's see what they do with their other picks because we think they have a massive need at wide receiver. I think that's pretty clear as well. They have a second and a third and, and three fourths, right? I think they have a chance. Remember how we liked the Raiders draft in reverse yeah, a couple of years down. ago? Yeah, so I don't mind. We're, we're talking about don't be safe in the first round. I don't mind if the Jags on day two and early day three, if they come away with a Tyler Johnson, if they come away with one of the top uh, other receiving, they could go double up at receiver. Give me a couple compliments to DJ Chark. Maybe find a tight end in there who's solid maybe find a developmental tackle. Like we could look at their draft by the, their third, fourth round pick and say, you know what? Rounds two through four, I feel better about those guys contributing, which is great. You've that's your floor of your draft class and CJ Henderson and Caleb on chase on become your ceiling, even though they're the higher investment picks. I think there's a way for the Jags to kind of flip the script 
on, oh, look at this high upside draft by getting some good solid playmakers at wide receiver, maybe doubling up a corner. So, um, yeah, I think it's risky. I mean, it's inherently risky with, with, with Chase on especially. Henderson, we evaluated him pretty well. The NFL evaluated him pretty well. Huge need. And uh, obviously, you know, that's he, – he could, he could hit. You know, he absolutely right. could hit. Let's talk wide receivers, uh, right? One, okay. I Let's apparently owe you lunch now because Henry Ruggs went at 12, not that. 14 yeah. and beyond. Um, let's start with that. Like, okay, whatever you think about Henry Ruggs, that he went number one. You, I, you could make a pretty good argument that he was the fourth best wide receiver on his own college team. And he went number one in the entire draft because apparently the ghost of Al Davis spasmed while the Raiders were on the clock and the pick went in. Like everybody made that joke. The easiest joke true. to make. There's, Al it's Davis the is only back. logical explanation. The I, the I can see an argument for Henry Ruggs over a lot of receivers in this draft. I can see none, no argument for Henry Ruggs over Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, both of whom were still on the clock are available when the Raiders are on the clock. This is the amazing thing about this wide receiver group is that uh, uh, Judy started to slide, as I said he might. Lamb started to slide as well, which I didn't expect to happen at all. And then the Raiders somehow, they didn't just have CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy sitting there at 12. They had all of them, everybody. So to me, that was, well, let's just fall over ourselves to throw the pick in for CeeDee Lamb. And instead, they take the guy who runs a 4-2-7, jumps out of the gym in his basketball highlights, but has been staggeringly unproductive because he was buried on his own team's depth chart. Now, you can make the argument that, okay, that's not like if you remove those impediments from him, he's a better player. Okay, sure. On the other hand, you need to ask why his own team felt they were better off with him buried like that and not... Like, do you know who... O.J. Howard had one fewer deep receptions than Henry Ruggs during his Alabama career. Um, Amari Cooper had one more in his final season than Henry Ruggs had in his college career. Like for a guy whose upside is being projected as a take the top off a defense deep threat that changes the game. He was incredibly unproductive doing that. All right. I get it. I understand. I, I I think CD. We Stop said for a while. If there was a this fit, podcast. If there was a fit, it was CD Lamb. Yes, right for for Derek Carr. Um, I, I I've said before. I I'm addicted to speed now. I'm chasing that Tyree Kill, chasing that Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller, the guys who have completely changed the offense when they're out there. Um, I wouldn't necessarily make this move. But maybe if this is the move that gets Derek Carr to throw the ball down the field, it's worth it. We'll talk about the psychology of picks later when we get to the (laughs) Packers as well. But the psychology of maybe, hey, Derek, we're going to throw the ball down the field a little bit more. You're good at doing that. You're a good 10-plus yard thrower. You can make all the NFL throws. Stop checking down when you guys are down 20. I mean, maybe if that gets, you know, him to do that a little bit more. Um, I'm intrigued by the speed. I'm intrigued by the speed component, obviously, um, but I wouldn't do it in exchange for some of those other guys. That and it's were on not the board. like it's not like CeeDee Lamb can't go deep downfield. It's not like Jerry Judy can't go deep downfield. Jerry Judy was significantly more productive on deep targets. So here's the thing, right? 
I honestly, it's this will sound weird, but you're not getting rugs for the downfield production, right? So you like we talked about Mike Wallace for a while. Remember when Mike Wallace, and I think this is a good comp for Henry Ruggs. Mike Wallace was an awesome deep threat with Ben Roethlisberger. And then, but his ball skills down the field weren't great. Will Fuller's ball skills down the field actually have been a little bit better than I expected, but they're not great. But it's just like the threat of those guys. Like Mike Wallace didn't catch a high percentage. Once he went to the Dolphins, this was supposed to be their big signing. He didn't catch a high percentage of deep passes, but defenses accounted for him. And it's almost like that is what you're chasing. You're really chasing the threat. Like run him down the field. And if he gets past the defense, like you'll get it to him. But if you're trying to get the most productive downfield receivers, there's other metrics to use, like how well do you do it, right? You, the best downfield receivers are guys like Jamar Chase coming out next year from LSU. I think he's going to be an awesome downfield deep receiver, and he'll probably run 4-5. But just because he's, he knows how to separate late, he's got good hand usage, he's going to get off press, like all these different things that lead up to becoming a good deep threat. So it might sound ridiculous. Rugs might not have the best deep passing numbers, but offenses change when you have a legitimate deep threat. Right. And that's the whole, like, here's but what here's I'm the chasing. Problem, right? If that is what you're chasing, you can literally achieve that with anybody that runs a 4-2 and you don't have to draft that guy as the first receiver off the board. You have CeeDee Lamb sitting there who is... How many guys run 4-2? In this draft? Well, yeah. John Ross runs 4-2 and you could have him at the moment for like a ham sandwich if you wanted that. So... I want him. Right? I take but him. my point is, if that's what you're chasing, that is easy to achieve. There is a guy in every single draft low down that will run a 4-3 flat and will take the top off your defense. He will achieve nothing else for you, but if that is the value, that is easy to get. The problem is that isn't all the value is. The value is the guy actually has to be good at the back end of it. Um, and the point, and a guy like Jerry Judy will take the top off the defense. I don't care what he ran in the 40. Jerry Judy is so good at beating people at the line, he is getting behind defenses far more consistently than Henry Ruggs is. So my point is, if you want the guy who's fast and will take the top off a of defense, that's great. But KJ Hamler is available in the second or third round. Um, there are guys lower down this draft that will be available. Don't take him as the first wide receiver off the board unless you are 100% convinced he can do all of the other things. And uh, there's no evidence that Ruggs can. None. Oh, man, you hate I don't, Ruggs. I honestly don't hate Ruggs. I honestly think he can be good. He's really fast. He's a way better ball skills guy than most fast guys. So Mike Wallace, and this is one of my concerns about Judy, right, is he will separate better than anybody else in this draft class. But he, there, are, there are two types of receivers, right? There are the first where when the ball is in the air, they are adjusting what they do to figure out where I can, how, I can, how I can adjust to go up and get it, like to jump up and get the ball, cut it off, essentially, before it comes down. And there's the second type that are calculating where it's going to drop to to adjust to let it drop into their hands, right? Judy is the second type. He does not go up and get the ball. Ruggs is the first type. He does go up and get the ball. And I think that's a valuable skill to have, particularly as a downfield receiver. But but Judy is better at everything else by a distance. And, you know, Jalen Rager does some really nice things Correct. as a deep threat. Darnell Mooney from Tulane is another 4-3 guy that's available. So keep an eye on all of these speed guys and how they develop. I think uh, Damon Arnett, the other pick, I think, was a little bit of a surprise for us. He's old. And uh, you want to know how old he <laughs> how is? How old is he, Steve? He's he's two months older than Gary and Conley. Hmm. 
Okay. The Raiders' former first-round pick who's already been Can we, traded. Hang on a sec. Can we just reverse a second? Why do you think CeeDee Lamb slid to 17? Because he was the one guy that I didn't think there was any chance slid in this draft. I thought he was, if he wasn't a top 10 pick, I honestly didn't think there was any way he was getting past Oakland at 12. So why do you think Lamb started to fall of all the receivers? Because he would seem to me to be the Derek yeah. Brown of the group, right? The one that was the safest. Yeah. I think with Lamb, remember our pre-combine discussion? We were like, hey, you watch Lamb. He just right. looks How is fast. It working? He, just gets open, he just gets the job done. He's not exactly Tyler Johnson, but it just he's just really good at everything, right? And it's just don't have that dynamic trait. And if you list dynamic traits, rugs, speed, Judy, route running, Lamb, everything's mm-hmm. really good. Um, and so before the combine, we're like, he's going to go run 4-5 and he's going to drop, right? He ran well. He ran in the four fours, but the drop still happened in the draft, right? I thought it was going to be like he goes to the combine, runs four or five, and all of a sudden people just take him out of wide receiver one conversation. The reality was it happened on draft night, and I think it was just that he didn't have the dynamic trait. Plus, I think there was just tackle, 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 left yeah. and right, couple interior defensive linemen. It was just kind of like the nature of those reports that we were hearing this week. The NFL is going to focus on the trenches. So you have all those tackles go off the board. You have the defensive lineman. Uh, Herbert did go uh, in the top six at quarterback. So just all these positions just got taken ahead of him. A.J. Terrell was a bit of a surprise being that high at corner. Um, and before you know it, I think, you know, Dallas wins with uh, with C.D. Yeah, Lamb yeah. falling to 17. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, less. So the Tyler Johnson thing is it's like, I just I don't see anything, period. And therefore, he's quite good. Lamb was more like, how is this working? Like, that was my question watching him. It's like, he's he's just wrecking everybody, and I don't understand why. Like, his route running wasn't particularly sudden. It shouldn't be springing him open, this man. He doesn't look as physically dominant as the, all these defenders skittling off him indicate he is. Like, I wonder if people were looking at it and going... You know, you always, when you watch a guy make plays, it's like, how much of that is him and how much of that is the ineptitude of the guy who's trying to go up against him? And I honestly wonder right. if teams were questioning how much of CeeDee Lamb's production was how was how much of this is just wretched defending by in the Big 12. So it's the beauty of PFF Ultimate and having every single play graded because it's it's not just the grades, it's, it's teams being able to, to go see what they want. Um, so I think with Lamb... It's, I remember when Paxton Lynch came out a couple of years ago and everybody's like, well, he throws 30% screens. You have to get past the screens. And I'm like, well, if you filter mm-hmm. them out, you can Easy. see the other stuff. With Lamb, sometimes it is tricky to go find the, the, the stuff that you want to evaluate, right? And I think what happens in evaluations is you kind of like lull yourself to sleep and it's like, there's a busted coverage. He just ran through the defense easily there. This is wide open. Even Justin Jefferson had some of that on his film. It's like, here's this schemed up slot production, schemed up slot production. And you might have to, you know, you might only get something to really evaluate every eight to 10 targets, you know, and I think that's also a part of the issue is is you you make excuses for how this guy got the job done, maybe at the college level. Um, do you want to go just like quick hitting around a bunch of these well, picks? So who else? Who else is what is the intriguing stories to you? Because to me, like that wide receiver dynamic was really fascinating. What else interested you? So, yeah. Obviously, the Packers. Yes, going to get going to get this Jordan is great, Love, right? Because you are Mister. Like, I don't give a crap about my quarterback's feelings. Can you imagine a quarterback who is going to be more pissed off 
that his team just drafted his potential replacement than but Aaron Rodgers. But this is the opposite, right? Aaron, great players are wired differently. Aaron Rodgers is a great player. Tom Brady is a great player. When you put adversity in front of them, they step it up. They get angry yes, to a I good agree. way. They don't go, Aaron Rodgers doesn't go turn the TVs off because he's sensitive and it's going to hurt well, his he ego. They're he's all gonna, up to 11 now. He's going right. to turn them on. He's going to say, hey, pro football focus, keep telling me I can't play. I'm going to prove Every you wrong. Every TV in the Packers will- organization is just going to be running a loop of how Aaron Rodgers is on a time clock now and Jordan Love is taking over a midseason, <laughs> up to like cranked up the to Packers, full volume. The Packers made a calculated move. 12-dimensional chess, <laughs> Sam. A calculated move to say, you know what? We don't need a wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. We need the best Aaron Rodgers. We are going to motivate Aaron Rodgers. We're going to trade up. We're not even going to sit and wait and get Jordan Love. We're going to trade up to get him. Hey, Aaron, look, there's your replacement. He makes Patrick Mahomes-like throws. Remember when you used to be called Patrick Mahomes? Remember when you, you, you were the freakiest quarterback in NFL history? Remember that? They're going to get the best Aaron Rodgers by wasting their first round pick this on Jordan is like Love. genuinely fascinating to me. Do we, do you honestly think, and I, I, I'm not disagreeing. Do you honestly think that green Bay went, look, we, we couldn't work. We tried the coaching thing, right? The Mike McCarthy, he eventually Mike McCarthy cramped out because of this. We brought in a new guy. We added a bunch of receivers. We've done everything humanly possible to get old Aaron Rodgers back and nothing. So, right. Okay, you want to play like that? Let's draft your replacement. Now let's see how that does, right? Now you now you want to play? Now you want to get back to being old Aaron Rodgers? Do you think that the Packers would actually reach the point of going, you know what? If if everything else isn't gonna work, screw it. We're gonna we're gonna draft a guy who's coming to take your job and you better get back to being the old Aaron Rodgers. Here's- for all the times that you tell me, oh, you, you're the guy that doesn't care about the quarterback's <laughs> feelings, like, give me an example of where this has happened and a quarterback has crumbled, right? Brady, in 2014, Sam Monson's writing articles about how he's washed up. 2014, they draft Jimmy Garoppolo before the season at a time when Brady was coming off his worst year. Like, it, it was the right time for the Patriots to do it, and then Brady went on the best five-year stretch of quarterback play in NFL history. Right? Like, that's what happened the last time they brought a quarterback into the room. Alex Smith, who's not exactly the guy that you're like, hey, he's a superstar. Alex Smith has his best season after Patrick Mahomes is drafted. And it wasn't even like he tried harder. He just got more aggressive. Like, Alex, I've been an Alex Smith supporter for years because I'm like, I've seen him make great throws. I've seen him make great throws in shootouts. I've seen him do it. And somehow the Chiefs extracted aggressiveness out of him by drafting Patrick Mahomes. How many examples are there of quarterbacks like crumbling? Like, oh no, my competition's here. I'm done. Like, if you're not good, you're not good. So maybe this works out for the Packers. All of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers is holding off Jordan Love for the next three years. And a lot of people have laid this thing out, right? The Packers have a decision to make. They're going to either have to trade Aaron Rodgers or pick up, make a decision on Jordan Love's fifth year option um, after the 2022 season. And they might not even see him play a, a, a down of football between mm-hmm. now and then 2020 and 21. So um, it's going to come to a head at some point, but maybe the Packers are saying, let's just get three years, try to get three years of greatness out of Rogers. He'll be 40, whatever it is. And, and, and let's move on. It's not that crazy. The crazy part is Jordan love is like the guy in my notes, who, by the way, I compared to Charlie Whitehurst the first time I watched him, Charlie the guy in my Whitehurst. notes who I said, I'd be, I'd be really happy to take him on day 
in the round in right. round so, three, which really means you know the round two from a discount let's standpoint. Park for a second the fact that they a drafted in the first round, b traded up to make it happen, and therefore are inherently behind the eight ball in terms of value. This is so, and the fact like the, the most interesting thing about this is obviously what it does to Aaron Rodgers, right? But shift all of that to the side for a second. Is this the best possible place for Jordan Love to wind up? Zero chance of him starting anytime soon. Gets to, I mean, you know, sit and learn behind one of the game's best or whatever. I don't know how willing Aaron Rodgers, like, you know, how much is Aaron Rodgers ironically going to be exactly like Brett Favre in terms of I'm not helping this young asshole out, take my job. Um, But like how, but how great a situation is this to go to a team? Like literally you have at least, you have multiple years to sit and get your shit together as a quarterback that has massive things to fix before he gets anywhere near the NFL field. Got to be ideal, right? It's per it's perfect. And I, I don't, it's not because the Packers have done it before. I mean, teams, there's nothing worse than like Aaron Rodgers has a record of four and one against the New York jets, you know, in his 13 year career, like those, those don't matter. So the fact that the Packers did this with Aaron Rodgers 10 years ago, or the fact that even before that they had Brett Favre and then they brought in my boy, Mark Brunel and they brought in Matt Hasselbeck. And then, you know, they just kept accumulating quarterbacks. It has been an organizational philosophy to take shots on quarterback and the last two big ones have panned out and the guys that haven't panned out, they've traded and gotten some value out of them. It's been a good organizational philosophy, but because Brett Favre and because Aaron Rodgers panned out, doesn't mean that Jordan Love will pan out. It's a whole different regime, what have you. But I think they're going through there and saying, Hey, this is it's the way we did it before. Let's try it again. It's more so the fact that yes, he can wait. He doesn't have to start, you know, he can develop. And he is toolsy. He does have things that he does well. Um, And if you do look at what Patrick Mahomes did, there are some people that love Patrick Mahomes, but he did negate his Mm -hmm. negatives, right? Like he diminished his negatives um, extremely well. And he did sit for a year, Mahomes. So um, the, the problem is, are you sitting there like a year from now? Like if Aaron Rodgers has a mediocre season, it's like, oh, is it Jordan Love's time yet? Is Mm -hmm. he ready? Let's go back to these two preseason games where he, you know, had 30 dropbacks and evaluate these 60 dropbacks and see how good he is. The problem is like when those questions start popping up, but if you take that out of it, yeah, it's a great spot. That's Jordan Love. I love it. As much like my thing about it, the intangible parts of this, it's not all like what happens to the quarterback's feelings. It's that, right? It's the second you take a quarterback that turns this into a viable discussion, you bring, you bring a world of shit show into your organization that you don't want any part of. This idea of if you if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Like that that chaos is something, right? Like the the Redskins drafting Tua too would of course would have caused this avalanche of media disaster on this organization that is not helpful. Yes, maximize like two swings at the bat instead of one is obviously better. On the other hand. Until you figure out which one of those guys is the guy, you're going to spend every day of your life answering 78,000 questions about each throw every one of them makes. And that is a pain in everybody's ass that does not do you any good. Like that, So it's not so much that, hey, Dwayne Haskins is going to get butthurt that you just drafted his replacement. It's that every single person in that organization is going to spend the rest of their lives answering that question. And that does not help anybody. That that is my ar- argument with that stuff. It's not that hey, Haskins is going to be sad. So I think that was 
that was obviously a yeah. huge story. You know, when the Packers traded up and when you're sitting there, everybody does their mock draft. Let me fill my needs out. All right. We need a linebacker. So they trade up. All right. Who's the linebacker they're going to get? Patrick Queens on the board. <laughs> Packers fans really wanted Patrick right. Queens. I, so um, here's, uh, here's, here's what I'll say, though. The payoff for Jordan Love, whether, no, whatever you think about him, the payoff that he could bring versus like just filling out your depth chart with a linebacker as much as I like Patrick Queen, like it's night and day. Like I like the aggressive mentality. And also, all like stuff. all the mocks that have been done, right? Every time you gave you or I gave the Packers somebody that wasn't a linebacker or whatever, like it's like you idiot. Why would they take this guy? And when Patrick Queen's still on the yeah. board, it's like they end up trading up and taking Jordan Love. It's like, oh yeah, we, right. Th- that's better, is it? That that's that's a superior mock to ours, you know. <laughs> you can't predict these things. Um, I, I want to circle back to the Dolphins for a minute because I thought they got off to a great start yeah. with Tua. Um, a lot of people did like Austin Jackson, the tackle that they took at 18. We Yikes. did not. Here's the way. I, when I watched Austin Jackson, I was like, everything's good until he has to block somebody. I mean, you can look at him and he's like, he's long and he's six, six and his, his footwork is great for, you know, an NFL offensive tackle moves well. And then once he has to use his hands to block somebody, it's just all over the place. Our friend Dane Brugler um, does a great draft guide for the athletic. And I, I read his, I wanted to see what other, other people were saying about Austin Jackson pre-draft. And he said it was something like his, you know, when he tries to punch, you, you have no idea where it's going to go. I mean, it's like a boxer, like whiffing all over the place. I mean, his hands um, are just not good. So to me, that's not the 18th overall pick in the draft, right? The, we talk about, you got to mitigate the, the what ifs. He, that's not the 18th pick in the draft. At 30, Noah Igbenogany from well Auburn. Thank you. Um, again, higher than we would have on our draft board, but the skill set that he brings that complements Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, I think is spectacular. I mean, this dude, he's young. Some of the man coverage mirror skills that he showed, especially in the slot, are just awesome. And he's good in the slot. Like That's where yeah. he's going to play. So if you're building a cornerback group, that's how you would do it. Big Byron How- Jones on the outside, Xavier Howard, playmaker on the outside, and Igbenogany on the inside. That I part really I like that pick, and I think it's smart. You know, a lot of people are going, oh, they all this money tied up in Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, so of course the Dolphins take a you know, take a corner, uh, dumb dolphins. Like, dude, that is, that's smart. That's what we've been talking about. It's like, you are never yeah. set at cornerback. You need like five of those guys to take a third one. That's not crazy. Um, in fact, it's smart because what happens if you, you know, one of those guys, a, one of those guys doesn't justify the contract B at some point, you going to have too much money tied up in that position. You're going to ship one out. So I think that's a really smart deal. The Austin Jackson thing, right? Explain to me the difference between Austin Jackson and Chuma Adoga like a year ago, other than like what a year in age or whatever. Like they're the same guy. Uh, Adoga's production, yeah, Adoga's production was was better. But but otherwise, it's the same, right? You got a guy with with really good movement skills who you really like as a project tackle that can develop into something really good. But man, that's I mean, like Mike's point all yesterday was just. It, it is such a gamble to project a project offensive lineman in the first round, particularly like the middle of the first round. Now I get they've, they've got three oh. picks, three. Um, they've got three picks. So that's when you take a gamble, right? You, you nail us, particularly when one's a quarterback. In theory, we got the quarterback. We take a corner. We like that. The third round, let's or the third of the first round picks, even though it was second chronologically, let's swing for the fences. Let's do something that we think will really pay off big if we get it right. I, I mean, I don't hate that, but I think it's a gamble. So, 
the bigger point that Mike made, like I've been saying Matt Parrott from UConn, that's my developmental tackle. But I'm okay with my developmental tackle sitting on the bench for a year or two and then hoping that it becomes good. The problem with a first-round developmental tackle is he has to play football. Hmm. Like, he's going to go out there and be the starter. Like, you're going to sit there and say, I got it. my, my first-round pick has to start. And when Eric Fisher from the Chiefs went first overall, and it took him four years to figure it out, it's not a good pick, right? Like, you had to re-sign right. him to a second contract to get the good play out of him. You had to deal with four years of bad play leading up to that, right? So that's not a good value pick. Offensive line's well, tricky, right? I mean, there are guys um, who have exceeded expectations. We're just putting a range of outcomes on this, and most of them are bad. That's the only issue with Austin Jackson based off what we've seen, but I can understand why teams might want to take a other, shot at him. Just the other concern. So again, like if you've got – like offensive line is not um, – it's not how strong everybody is, right? It's just, it's the weakest link. It's how bad you are in certain spots. Yeah. And if you have a guy that's a problem um, or a development guy or a project, you can slot him in if four guys are good and he just like, he's your, he's your issue. Right. And he actually gets helped by the fact that the inside doesn't have to worry about it. It's good. The Dolphins offensive line is still an absolute dumpster fire inside. Austin Jackson is Eric flowers who a is not good. And B has stylistic quirks to how he plays that does not help is the guy outside of him, right? So you're dealing like he gets zero help. In fact, if anything, he gets hindered by the fact right. that the guy inside him is is not the one you want. So you're taking a, t- a project who's going to have to play because you took him in the first round and he's going to look worse than he should because everything else around him is bad. I, I pretty much don't like um, of all the moves that the Dolphins have made. The Dolphins have done a nice job to put a lot more talent mm-hmm. on the roster. As much as I like what they've done in the secondary, adding Byron Jones and Igbenogany, that's how much I hate their offensive yeah. line moves. Adding Julian Davenport last year by necessity, adding Eric Flowers, they re-signed Jesse Davis at right tackle after meh years. I mean, they're just, um, you have to put resources there, um, and I just don't like the way they've deployed them. So um, I just want to say real quick, um, Isaiah Simmons to the Cardinals at eight, was a bit of a surprise. Just make use of him. I like some of the coverage players that they're adding back there. I really liked that pick. J- uh, Jedrick Wills to the Browns. I think our only question coming in is like, there's not a difference in value of left tackle or right tackle, but if I don't have to move a guy, I don't want to have to do it. So they're going to have to move him to left tackle. That might hinder his development a little Conklin. bit, but I love or move Conklin, which I look, I, I would r- much rather move a college guy than uh, an entrenched NFL guy. Conklin left played in college. I mean, he did play, but he hasn't played in sure. four years. I mean, well, that's the thing. So you know? every the their GM came out and said, "Look, a tackle is a tackle," and everyone was, was trying to parse that statement. It's like, wait, does he mean that like, it doesn't matter if you take a right tackle? You can swip like. And it was like, no, he no, meant, but he's doing it from the way we I don't do know it. That he wants. He's, he's saying it the this way we. Thing. He's saying it the way we say it from a value standpoint. I don't standpoint. know that that's true he's anymore. Saying, I, think, I didn't no. know that he's was saying, true at the time. Hey, NFL scouts, stop saying right tackle only, which means this guy's not as good in pass protection or he's this, a mauler. That in is the, the interpretation game. that most people had. And I didn't know it was true at the time. And if anything, I'm less, I'm more convinced that that's not what he meant because they, they did exactly what you just said. They took a right tackle when they didn't have to, knowing that they were going to have to make somebody swap sides. And 
It's going to be Wills. Whatever. It'll be Wills. The point is, they've taken a guy, like exactly what he said. A tackle is a tackle. I will flip sides, and I don't care. I expect them to be the same guy on the left as the right. And I think a lot of times that's true. I mean, you know, one of the things Mike was talking about with Tristan Wirfs is that the dude swapped sides midway through the season, didn't miss a beat. Some guys can do that. I also think some guys cannot. Um, I don't think it's like for like. I think it's it's individuals, and you have to figure it out. But my point is... I think that's what he meant. I think he genuinely meant that a tackle is a tackle. If you get a good player, I expect him to be just as good at left or as on right. Kind of t- like in addition to that, left is just as valuable as right, and right is just as valuable as left. But they like exact. It, it was really interesting because they were in a position where they did not have to do that, and obviously thought the differential between uh, between uh, Wills and the other tackles was higher. Than the differential, than the the amount of difference it makes to take to swap a guy from right to left. So uh, Wills goes to the Browns at ten. Makai Becton going at eleven to the Jets. One of my big questions going in: How are they going going to attack this? And this this was a great answer. You know, this was like how how good do they feel about their offseason investments in George Fant? Now you can put Fant at right tackle, have him battle with Chuma Adoga, and Makai Becton steps in at the left tackle. You're trying to creep back toward average. Normally, I'm all about grab the playmaker first, but I mean they still have work to do up front. So I think that you know revealed their strategy. This was just a whole bunch of teams revealing all of the stuff that we were trying to figure out that they were going to do. Um, the, the, I think the Bucks played things well, even though they traded up one pick. They were really scared that Tristan Wirfs was going to go to the 49ers, so they traded up one pick to secure him so that he could be. They're starting right tackle. What you smirking at? Um, Khaled has just dropped in Towers a helpful link for you, which is a, a link to a, a makeup foundation matrix of how to find your perfect shade. I think that would have been helpful for you last night. What do you think it looks like? You looked ill. You look like someone that had had the, the corona for a week. Um, the late last minute pivot to makeup was an interesting decision on your part. You know, it wasn't, it was, it was always planned. It was always planned. Cause it looked um, like a very high risk late, you know, last second maneuver. It's like, you know, Hey, we've got our guy all the way along. And then like two minutes before you're on the clock, somebody goes, Hey, what about Herbert? You're like, Oh crap. And you have this whole like, blow up. The, the, the entire decision gets made in two minutes of shouting panic. That's kind of what it looked like. You roll back in having been, you know, set, and then you looked sick. And then you, then, you, then you proceeded to try and fix it while, like, messing with your, your light and shit. So we, we have these ring lights, right? And they come with four sort of diffuser panels. And there's either white ones or there's orange ones. Um, now, because, I, I, yeah, there you go. Because I have a Mac. I, so, um, you know, there's this, it's very militant, this Mac versus pc thing right and i have an imac but i also have a pc laptop so i'm like on the fence i don't each one has strengths each one has weaknesses but a massive weakness of an imac is it will play nice with a webcam you can plug a new webcam into it which i have because this is an old imac so you can plug a, a new webcam into it and it'll it'll play nice with it but it will not let you mess with any webcam settings unless you pay $10 for an app like it physically it's not in there it's not in the settings it just doesn't exist that is insane so consequently rather than pay $10 for an app I'm like DIY white balancing right so I have three orange things and one white one 
So you looking like the ghost of Christmas past last night with your makeup, we're like desperately trying to add orange filters to your light to try and bring some, you know, warmth and life to your face so that you didn't look like, back to didn't look like a dead guy. Yeah, I thought because of the because of the mm. lights that the the usual touch up was necessary. Turns out it, it was it looked You've never bad. been the most, you know, deft applier of the makeup. I just think that, you know, nope. two minute, like just before we got to go on, I'm going to go shovel this on. It's, it's it could be because process. I didn't get the just right bad. camera. You guys got, but you guys got the C920s <laughs> and I problem. got the C920. Maybe the 920 is just, it wasn't as powerful I, as I, I don't thought. Think that, I, I don't think that was the issue. I think your usual heavy handed quantity over quality approach to makeup application was just not friendly to your face on this particular occasion. Kelly even tried to help me fix it last yeah? minute. How? We again we crept back what to was, what was the, What was her plan? Some bronzer or something <laughs> like that. Uh, not enough. Not enough. Um, can we get back to the draft, please? Come on. Uh, sure. Where were we? Come on. All right. Now listen. I want I want to get your take on the Vikings because I know you did with it. You've got like a minute to go through this because you spend <laughs> ten minutes on yeah. every Vikings point. Okay. Give me a minute to a minute and a half on why you like what the Vikings did and, and their picks and their right. fits. So I still hate the Stefan Diggs thing, right? I think that when you trade, anytime you're trading away a guy that good, you're causing yourself problems. And I get that it wasn't all their fault that Stefan Diggs was agitating for his way out. He was forcing their hand. On the other hand, I think you probably could have been more forceful in saying, you know what? No, deal with it. You're a great player. You, you know, maybe you get a bit more money, whatever, but you're not going anywhere because we need you. But they didn't. They traded him away. At that point, you are in trouble. You're in damage limitation mode because you have to replace him with the pick you just got for him. And I know they got some more picks, but frankly, those are low-round picks. They're noise. I know Stephon Diggs was a fifth-round pick, but that doesn't mean that every fifth-round pick is a Stephon Diggs. Fifth-round picks are basically lottery tickets. Every now and again, one will pay off. So you get you replace Stephon Diggs with the pick you got for Stephon Diggs in Justin Jefferson. That's a good move, but... The chances of Justin Jefferson being as good as Stephon Diggs are relatively small, right? So that's your damage limitation pick. I think you limited the damage about as well as you could have. Yes, but again, like that's it's insurance, right? It's worth paying that money so that you know you have the player rather than you're gambling on the guy being able to replace it. Um, so that I think is your damage limitation pick. I think they limited the damage as well as they could have. But it's still damage. And Eric Eager, you know, the war numbers, they project that it will be a step backwards, almost regardless of what Jefferson does. Next is where I think they really started to gain value and actually do a good job rather than just limit the damage. A, they trade down. And B, they still get cornerback, which was their single biggest need. And C, the guy they got, Jeff Gladney, I think is the perfect fit for this defense. There were two corners, I think, that were really brilliant stylistic fits and schematic fits for Mike Zimmer's defense. Jalen Johnson from Utah and Jeff Gladney from TCU. Jeff Gladney is A, by far the most battle-tested corner in this in this class in terms of targets, in terms of playing time. B, TCU runs like quarters all the time, almost exclusively. And that's what the Vikings like to run as well. So I think getting a corner, or getting the corner you wanted was a great pick. And being able to trade down and still get that guy is above and beyond. And then as much as I hate the reason they were put in that situation, limiting the damage done by shipping off Stefan Diggs was a good move. So in in totality, 
the first round couldn't have gone much better for the Vikings. Nice stop. Thank Nicely you. done. How long was that? It was over a minute. That was but it was tight, good. though, right? That's got to be under two. No, it was. Listen, I gave you a minute. Knowing you get to two, it's like when I tell my wife, you know, well, we're going to leave an minute, hour early. We need to. You gave me leeway. Yeah, yeah, and it ended up at about two. No, it was good. I, the Vikings worked it well. They still have a ton of picks. Um, I think it's. It was like. For Vikings fans, I think it's more of an uncomfortable time than anything. This reminds me of the Falcons last year. Like, there's stuff, there's these really nice pieces in place, but some stuff needs to happen. We needed a, we needed to open up cap room. We needed to add depth on both sides of the ball. Like, things just ran out at this time when you've got these, you're trying to win now, but you also had to rebuild at the same time. It's a tricky situation. I think they're handling it all right with the high-volume draft picks that they've continued to add. Um, and obviously the next couple days are going to be huge for them. Um, any other, so the one curious pick that I had was the saints at 24 getting Caesar Ruiz. We were joking on the broadcast and I, I had forgotten about this. The Saint Mike Renner has been calling the saints the most likely team to mm-hmm. trade up, uh, because of every other move that they've made, right? It's like, Drew Brees, we'll just keep pushing the cap, pushing the cap, pushing the cap. We're just going to keep signing Drew Brees. We're going to trade uh, the the most draft capital anybody's ever seen for a non-quarterback to go get Marcus Davenport at 14 overall a couple years ago. Every move that they've made is a win-now move. And then Cesar Ruiz, they have all five starters for this year, and Ruiz is a 21-year-old you know, projected starting center or guard. And there's no path to him being on the field this year unless they trade a Larry Warford, who's their starting right guard, who's worth over $10 million on the cap this year. If that's the plan, fine. And, and I'm all about drafting for more than one year. I'm just surprised that this was the move that the Saints made. I thought it was like, all right, get that next wide receiver, make life easy for Breeze, get that linebacker, get whoever. And they didn't go that way. Yes, I agree. Um I, I think if it was any other team, this would be a massively praised move, right? In terms of foresight, in terms of the right way of doing things. But because it's the Saints and you're like, well, this team is clearly in win now mode. It, that's a little strange. Um, the other, So you're right. There is the chance that they trade one of those offensive linemen. There's also like there's value to contingency, right? Like the idea that if if what's one thing that can derail a Super Bowl run, right? An unexpected injury that causes a crippling hole where there wasn't one before. If they get an injury to a guy on the offensive line and they have to go to the the bench and the bench is an absolute train wreck and suddenly they cannot stop pressure surging up the middle towards Drew Brees, who's less able to deal with pressure than he was in the past, that's a massive problem. Now, You've got a guy who you can plug in and it's not an issue. So I think there is value to getting a guy who might not have to play year one. But the value is we now have contingency that we didn't have before. And that is helping us get to a Super Bowl. The other thing we were saying about the Saints heading into this draft is that they might have the best roster in the NFL. There aren't holes on this team. And if anybody is going to be drafting for luxuries it's the Saints, and we kind of anticipated that will being, oh, okay, they're going to trade up for an impact X, right? Even though they actually have a pretty good spot at that or a pretty good player at that spot, that's how we expected the sort of the luxury um, situation they were in to manifest itself. But actually what they did instead was trade up for a guy who, A, is a long-term replacement for somebody, and B, gives them depth they didn't have. So I don't, I don't hate it. Yeah, it just surprised me. It's 24th overall. 
Um, it definitely surprised me. Um, let's wrap it up soon. I, I, we got to talk about the Cowboys as a whole, though, and what they did. I mean, if they hit the lottery, I, they I loved struck it. gold. I absolutely love it. And there's still people saying, well, their secondary is still terrible. I mean, if you if you line up, up today. some absolutely if, if you line up some of our philosophies and, and let's just remember, here's here's the point I made last night a year ago at this time. What was the perception of Dak Prescott? Dak Prescott was a guy who had a good rookie season, ranked in the top eight or so PFF grades, looked like the best quarterback in the 2016 draft class, him, Carson Wentz, J- Jared Goff. He immediately comes back down to earth the next two years, ranks like 19th, ranks about 20th, production takes a hit, all that stuff. So a year ago at this time, heading into the 2019 season, Dak's supposed to make a ton of money. And we're like, what are you t-? like? This guy's a mid-tier quarterback. And like all these other mid-tier quarterbacks, if the situation around him is great, he could produce. He'd had a half season plus of Amari Cooper, and the pass game production went up. So it was like, hey, he's a good enough quarterback. If you give him the right pieces, he can produce. Fast forward to 2019, Kellen Moore is the play caller. They call more efficient plays. Amari is there for the full season. Dak has his most productive season. So he's not a top five quarterback. He's not a top eight quarterback, but he could put up top five passing production when you surround him with the right pieces. So continue to add more pieces, right? Michael Gallup became a beautiful number two receiver last year. So now you've got Amari Cooper. You have Michael Gallup. You add C.D. Lamb. That is the type of stuff like defensive coordinators aren't staying up at night trying to figure out how are we going to get past Cesar Ruiz? How are we going to get past this guard? How are we going to beat Austin Jackson? We already know how we're going to do it with an edge rusher. They stay up at night figuring out how do we cover three wide receivers and a tight end and stop the run with Zeke Elliott. That's that's what keeps them up at night, and that's what wins football games, being able to spread the ball around and always have an answer. That's it. Like Let's forget like run-pass balance and all that stuff. When defenses do one thing, you need to have an answer to do something else. So if they do take away Amari Cooper, now you have C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. If they do take away Zeke, you have three guys to throw to. So that I just love the whole approach. Jerry Jones from his yacht, from the Apple Store yacht. Was that, that he, wait, was that 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 what he, he was sitting in? Was that the yacht? It was his wow. yacht. That yeah. place looks um, insane. Jerry crushed it. Everybody that you make fun of, Sam, proved you wrong. Dave Gettleman. What do you mean I make fun had of? Had his binder. He had his binder and he picked the top tackle. Jerry Jones, you, were, no, you weren't making fun of him. You were just, you were saying that dude's living the American dream. I, and he is. I will never say a bad word against Jerry Jones. That man has my, that's my dream existence, right? You make a billion plus dollars, you buy your own football team and you play real life fantasy football. And okay, it might not be the best way to win games, but who gives a crap? It's my team. I own it. I'm a billionaire. I'm going to go from my Jerry bus to my Jerry yacht. I'm going to play fantasy football on my Zoom call, except it's the NFL. And yeah, that might not be what you want to see, Mr. Fan, but unlucky. I'm the billionaire. That's how we, we roll here. I, I will never say I, a bad word against you. He did Jerry. a great job. He did a great job. Um, let's wrap it up with the Clyde Edwards Alaire pick. Uh, well, hang on. So the Dallas thing, I 100% agree with you. The two things that make this interesting to me are one, you are a. You are surrounding Dak Prescott with the kind of weaponry and supporting cast that might actually make him justify the market resetting contract that he wants. Like Dak Prescott is not a top top one or two quarterback in the NFL. Dak Prescott might produce like a top one or two quarterback in the NFL, given what you are now surrounding him with, assuming 
you know, at least a parody, maybe a step forward from Kellen Moore and the offensive scheme generally. Like you are giving this guy an incredible situation to succeed, which means a couple of things. One, you might want to get that guy under contract pretty quickly because that price may only be going up. And two, the other thing is, is this a move to actually encourage him to sign a deal, right? Like, because, all right, you've got two alternatives if you're Dak Prescott. You sign with Dallas or you go somewhere else. You are now getting dramatically smaller um, chances of getting better support anywhere else. Like, this is a hell of a quarterback situation to be in, and you probably don't want to walk away from that. So let's sign something. Contract negotiations can get contentious, right? In, in, in baseball, they, they have an arbitration system, right? And you hit this point in your career, and you go to, if you go to arbitration, somebody's going to actually rule on should you make $10 million or $8 million? And both teams have to just make their case, like in court, right? So you go to court, essentially, against – it's crazy, right? Against your player, and you're like, hey, player that I really think is worth $8 million, Here's why you're not worth 10. Let me tell you all the things why you're not good, right? Like Dallas is going to be there in the contract negotiations, showing Dak his production, his PFF grade and all that stuff. It's like, here's you pre-Amari Cooper. Mm. Here's you post-Amari Cooper plus Kellen Moore plus C.D. Lamb. And that's why all of your production was there. You know what I mean? Like it's going to – it's. It's not going to be that specific, but it's great. You know, I mean, that they're putting him in position to, to succeed. And if you don't have a top five quarterback in the NFL, which is this hypothetical, like, I know he's going to be top five every year, this Patrick Mahomes type, this is the way you do it. You have to build in this way. So um, let's wrap it up one more time with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um, we were LOLing at um, people saying that the Chiefs needed a running back um, from a look. Running backs are different from an evaluation standpoint. There, there's, there's reports out there that Andy Reid looked at Clyde Edwards-Alaire and said, this guy's better than Brian Westbrook. And I can understand the appeal to that, right? Like, I can understand the appeal to, we have weapons all over the place. We do throw to the running backs quite a bit. And if we're going to do that, why not have the best guy at catching the ball and making guys miss? Right. So that's what they've that's what they've done. That's what they've looked at. Obviously, the counterpoint that we would make is Damian Williams has been productive. Kareem Hunt has been productive. Everybody they've tried to back there has been productive. You don't want to feed this guy carries. You don't want to feed this guy targets. But I understand the appeal to evaluating him. I know a couple teams really, really wanted him in the second round as their running back that they were going to use in a versatile way. So um, he's going to look. Like he's a justified that, pick yeah. because he's going to have a that ton of production. I think is the critical point here is that there's almost no way that this pick gets looked back upon in the wider sphere as a bad move because I think uh, Edwards Hilaire will look fantastic in this offense. I think he, the Chiefs, Andy Reid, and Patrick Mahomes are going to make this guy $60 million in four years' time because he's going to see out this rookie deal and then he's going to go somewhere else and some dumb team is going to pay him monster money whereupon he will not have anything like the same level of production because everything else around him is worse. Um, so yeah, I think you have to frame it in the idea of we expect this to look like a good pick. We expect him to be incredibly productive in this offense. The point is this offense is such a running back friendly environment that almost anybody would look really good in it. Damian Williams, for example, looks really good in it. 
Um, and what you have to ask yourself is, where is the balance between spending a first round pick on a guy you think is like optimally, optimally suited to take advantage of that versus the percentage production that the neck like an average guy will have right so damien like what is the difference between edward Hilaire being brian westbrook 2.0 um and therefore getting that extra bit of production versus damien williams worth the first round pick i would say absolutely not and that's why we don't like the thing right you can get a guy in the fifth round that will be like an 80 percent of edward Hilaire and look phenomenal because the the thing driving all the production is Mahomes it's the offense it's Kelsey Hill all those it's Andy Reid like the running back is the guy taking advantage of it and Edward Hilaire might be adding you little bits of percentage points on the top but it really doesn't feel like enough to justify a first round pick on it yeah I mean the one thing I'll say about that too is if if you can stay disciplined look not every pick has to have you know perfect positional value and all that stuff, right? Like if the Panthers were disciplined and actually traded Christian McCaffrey instead of re-signing him and getting a first round first rounder back, I'm not saying that they, they're beating the system or anything because maybe they shouldn't have picked a running back in the first place. But if the Chiefs get two years of incredible production out of him and he, you know, scores 20 touchdowns a year and people think he's the second coming of, of OJ Simpson because of this, and then you can actually OJ be disciplined Simpson. enough that was just an odd, odd one to throw back to. I have no idea why I just That's said what I'm saying. He was a great he running was. back, though. Two first guy to two thousand. Really good running back. Cut that. Give me um, <laughs> Emmett Smith. No, you can't have Emmett. You got OJ now. Maurice Jones Drew. If you could be disciplined though and sell him high, you know, like if if the Rams came off that 2017 or 18 season and sold Todd Gurley after he was an MVP <laughs> candidate and got something for him. Like if you could stay, like if the saints traded Alvin Kamara and said, look, I know he's so good for our offense. I know he's so good for Drew Brees, but his value will never be higher. If I'm going to take a lower position from a positional value standpoint, and I can be disciplined enough to sell them high or do what the 49ers did get four years out of DeForest Buckner and flip it for an equivalent pick then I can deal with that stuff. You don't have to always pick wide receivers and corners. I just don't know if that's truly the well, approach. Like they could get two years of awesome production out of him, flip him, maybe earn this first rounder back or second rounder or whatever it is, and still feel pretty good about the, uh, some of the parts that you've gotten there. The, the interesting thing. So if this was the saints, right? You know, we talked, the saints have the best roster in the NFL. They're in a position to make luxury picks, right? If it was the saints, it would make some sense, right? He's going to be productive in this offense. Um, and they don't have like, they don't have anything else to do with the pick, right? They don't have a glaring hole. They need to fill. They don't have massive positions. They can upgrade that to me would make some sense. I still would not necessarily endorse it, but I, I could understand it a lot more, but the chiefs have a lot of problems. Like I know they just won a super bowl and they got Patrick Mahomes, which papers over any multitude of cracks, but like there's a lot of spots the Chiefs could upgrade with a first round pick on defense in particular. Like this is a team that has some holes to fill. So running back for them would, is would, is like this is a they don't have the luxuries that a team like the Saints with a you know almost flawless roster has. I'll just echo the things I think I said last week as well. Patrick Mahomes is awesome. He's special, but he also went to an offense that got 
Alex Smith to the top passer rating in the NFL, thanks to Andy Reid, to Tyree Kill, to Travis Kelsey, and in the whole supporting cast, right? At some point, Tyree Kill might lose a step. He's already gets, you know, he has off field issues. He gets banged up. Travis Kelsey, like you need Kelsey insurance as well. We've never seen Mahomes without these weapons. Will he be successful? Sure. Will he always be breaking the league? I don't know. So I want to make sure that he's always breaking the league. So when Sammy Watkins goes and some of these other guys go, you have me, Cole Hardman, who's the next guy? You know, I would continue to replenish there. Uh, the point Eric always makes, too, is to justify that pick. Are they going to feed Edward Solaire right. 20 carries a game? Are they going to justify that and play differently? Think- Are they going to say, we're just going to score 24 this, you know, instead of 41? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're trying to give him carries and take pressure off Patrick Mahomes. I'm, I'm reasonably confident that at least in that area, the Chiefs are smart enough to do the right thing, that they will not, I think they so will not overly compensate and force feed Hilaire, Edwards Hilaire um, touches that he shouldn't be getting through the general course of that offense just because he was a first-round pick. That part I think they're at least good with. I just think that they're – I don't know if they're miss – if they're misunderstanding what generates the production that it's not actually the running back, or if it's just a miscalculation or a different interpretation over what the extra value that he brings is worth. And they think it's worth a first round pick. I would argue it's really not. Um, that part I think is questionable. Uh, Patrick queen goes to the Ravens. We're not going to wrap it up. We're going to keep going. The people want this. They want more analysis, Sam. Patrick Queen goes to the Ravens. Love that fit. He is so athletic. He is, he's just, he's just, they'll get the most out of him. Coverage first player, making life difficult on opposing offenses with a, with a really good back yeah. seven. Um, and I like it because I mocked Patrick <laughs> Queen to them. It also, my mock draft hit for players. I think I, at some point, I mocked Jalen Rager to the Eagles. But a queen to the Ravens and Brandon Ayuk to the 49ers. I think I got so those. You can't take like at some point. In like one of the mocks I did oh, yeah, down in history. No, it's like the SATs. You can take it as many no. times as you want and no, take that's your best scores. That's how it works. That's how no, mock It's like that's the final. Whatever your like end one was, that's what you're locked into. Nah. Um, oh, and then I got both of those. I think Ayuk and Queen on my queen, last one. I really like because um, speed, right? The, the Ravens have built this really interesting defense, loaded up in versatile. Uh, really good secondary players, positionless defense. They've got a defensive front that'll make it work. The big question mark was linebacker, where it's just like, nah. Now at least they're they're really ramping up the speed and athleticism component of those linebackers um, in between the two really strong parts of that defense. So yeah, I really like that fit for Baltimore, particularly like it just looks it's it looks so much better by comparison when you look at what was going off the board. Like the Chargers traded up for Kenneth Murray. We talked about that. Don't love it. Um, one pick before, the Seahawks take Jordan Brooks. It just isn't as good. Never has been. Probably never will be. Um, and then the and traded up. They, did they trade up to do that? Or did they? Brooks Brooks just isn't good in the right areas. He's a very good right. player. But then the Ravens He's just sit there best. and do nothing and get the best of the three. Yeah. I, I, Jordan Brooks, I mean, look, Seattle has been. So remember, I mentioned him earlier. I said, why are teams so conservative? Why aren't they playing the upside game, right? Seattle's playing the upside game. Now, they're doing it with different numbers than we would do. But just to list those picks again, Jermaine Effetti, Malik McDowell, Rashad Penny, LJ Collier, and now Jordan Brooks, all guys 
Um, I think Collier we may have had as a fringe second rounder. Rashad Penny, he's a running back, even though we liked him as a prospect, still a running back. Malik McDowell, okay, fine. Jermaine Effetti, I think we had him the third or fourth round as a developmental tackle. I mean, they're playing the upside game. Um, Jordan Brooks, we had as our best run defender in the draft. I think he is fantastic against the run. Sifts through the trash. He's just got a really good feel, avoids blockers, gets to the ball carrier. I don't know if this is one of those division moves or if it's like K.J. Wright insurance. He, uh, he doesn't have the same size as K.J. Wright, but you could put him out there, you know, to be the guy next to Bobby Wagner. Um, but but again, I don't know if this is like a division thing, right? Like the 49ers have a perceived, they're a perceived run first team. The Rams are a perceived run first team. And, and I don't know if it's like, hey, we're going to com- combat our division. We added Quentin Dunbar at corner. We've done a nice job replenishing certain spots in the secondary. Still have holes on D-line. But when I was hearing Jordan Brooks' name in the first round, he's athletic. He's a good run defender. But he's not. he hasn't like shown a ton from a coverage standpoint. It just didn't make sense to me as a first-round player. And then, yeah, I mean, Seattle continues to pick guys that – are unexpected in the first Clyde round. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was apparently Patrick Mahomes' first choice. Um, now, it sounds like they were already kind of zeroing in on him anyway, but they then texted Mahomes sort of blind and said, hey, who do you want? Don't think about it. Just give me a name. And he said, Clyde. Therefore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the nature. If you watch, if anybody watched LSU, he's, he's exciting. He's awesome. LSU. Like, but nothing sums up Clyde Edwards-Alaire like playing at right. LSU. Like, he's the winner in this mm-hmm. draft. Yeah. He has won. He went from LSU where, hey, there's Justin Jefferson, there's Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow spreading the ball around, and oh, by the way, we're going to run empty sets. Edwards-Alaire is going to split out wide. He's going to catch checkdowns and screens and what have you and just be in a great position to succeed. And now he goes to the Chiefs where the same thing is going to be the case and he's going to look great. He's good, too, but he's going to have many opportunities. This is, I mean, I think Mike was the guy making this point on the – the show last night that his LSU career perfectly sums up what running backs yeah, are, right? It's that he, before yeah. LSU transformed itself with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, Edward Hilaire didn't look special. His production wasn't special. He was not the, he was not justifying anything like a first round pick. Then the environment around him is transformed in one fell swoop with amazing offensive coordinator and scheme, amazing quarterback play, and suddenly Alaire looks phenomenal. His numbers are insane. He becomes a first-round pick. The exact same thing is going to happen at the NFL level. He's going from the best offense in college football with the best quarterback in college football to the best offense in the NFL with the best quarterback in the NFL. He is going to look great. The only, but what's going to happen is at some point the chiefs are going to decide to move on because the price gets too much. He's going to go to like Oakland or, you know, to Titans, or he's going to go somewhere that isn't Kansas city. And immediately his production is going to go back to pre Joe Burrow and Joe Brady LSU days, and he's not going to look like the same player. That is the dynamics of play with running backs. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Anything else, man? Yeah. Uh, what else we got? That you liked or didn't like? Uh, I liked Jalen Rager to the Eagles, another fit that just made its yeah. sense from a deep threat standpoint. I think they they really wanted so the, him. So, yeah, the wide receiver group, what did we end up with? Six of them in total? We had this, the mini slides of the top two that everybody, almost everybody, apparently, other than, you know, the Raiders, decided that there was a clear one-two 
there's a debate as to where you put rugs, whether he's in that three or whether he's lower down. Um, but the top one, two both slid. Denver struck gold because they got Jerry Judy. Um, and by the way, I think Jerry, I'm going to write this later today. Jerry Judy is the single greatest thing that could happen to Drew Locke for his development possible. Not only did they get arguably the best receiver on the board for him, which is great in and of itself, but they got a guy whose skill set, whose calling card is getting wide the hell open, which is good in two ways. One, we talked about this plenty. It maximizes the window of uh, the margin for error for a quarterback, right? Jerry Judy runs a quick out. No longer does Drew Locke have to put the ball perfectly, you know, half a yard out in front of him so he can catch it in stride with tight coverage behind him. Dude's got like a five-yard window to make that throw, right? He can leave it a yard and a half behind him. It doesn't matter because the corner is nowhere. So that's great. Two, the other thing that is really underrated as a as a benefit is this paints a phenomenal picture for Drew for Drew Locke, right? One of the biggest things coming to the to from college to the NFL is the pace of the game and having to process and the speed of it all, right? And part of that is because the windows are smaller. So when Drew Locke is going through his progressions in college, he looks up, oh, there's a receiver eight yards open because this is college. Let's throw it his way. When he looks up in the NFL, there's like every time he looks up, it's like, well, is that guy open or not? I can't quite tell. It's tight coverage. You know, it's half a step. Is it a step? Is he coming open? Like the, the windows are so tight. And, oh, you know, you hear this phrase that's open in the NFL, right? You have to, like that's open. You have to you're right. You have to understand that that guy, even though there's a dude draped all over him, is actually open. You need to throw him the ball. Jerry Judy changes that because now when Drew Locke looks up, it's not a question. Oh, he's he's wide the hell open again. That's where the ball's going. So he is going to improve Drew Locke's processing and he's going to improve his accuracy because the the window he has to hit is bigger. Yeah, the thing I like about what Denver's doing with that receiving core is that I repeat myself over and over again, but different skill sets as well. Like we didn't love Noah Fant as a first round tight end because he didn't do everything well, but what he does well is run fast and he runs well in space. So you create space for Noah Fant. We saw the big plays that he created last year when Drew Locke took over. Um, he is a fast field stretching tight end. You have Cortland Sutton who can get down the field and is good after the catch. Great size. Plus you now you have Judy, the vertical threat, the slot threat, the best route runner, all that stuff. So I love the way that receiving course coming together because they all win in different ways. And that helps to justify having no offense because he's got a very specific skill set that fits in with all these other guys. Um, I mean, same thing with the Eagles. Uh, I, I'm wondering if Deshaun Jackson is on the trading block. There's a couple guys I'm wondering are on the trading block, right? Ryan Kerrigan in Washington with Chase Young there now. Is Deshaun Jackson all of a sudden available because you have Jalen Rager? You know, there's a couple guys... Uh, like that around the league. Tyrell Williams with the Raiders, uh, less or so. But um, the Eagles felt like they needed to get faster because they played a whole season, right. not only without Deshaun Jackson, but with no healthy wide receivers. So well, Rager adds that vertical your, threat. Was it your final mock that had T. Higgins to the Eagles? And we were talking about how it just didn't make sense from a... I didn't love it. Yeah, I didn't this love it. Yeah. makes sense, right? You add, you add something right. that isn't... Rager was off the board sure. in my final mark because no, no, I'm of not, it. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying you had the choice, but I'm saying this makes right, right. sense, right? You add a guy who brings what they don't have. Um, I don't know that Deshaun Jackson is relevant because the dude's, what, 34 years old? Whether he's on the trade block or whether he's just old as time, like, he's... This is a succession plan. So, 
I think Rager can add the speed that, that Deshaun Jackson does. He also, I think, A, he's a really good uh, catch, you know, catch point guy. He has, you know, we talked about, does he go get it or does he try and adjust to where the bucket is going to be? Um, Rager goes to get it. So that is really good. And he, I think he's a pretty good run after the catch guy as well. Those numbers have not been spectacular at that. I think he's a really good complete receiver. I honestly, I thought this guy was like three, four in terms of where he should go in this draft behind uh, Lamb and Judy. I think he's a better bet than Henry Ruggs to develop into the kind of guy that everyone thinks Ruggs will be. Yeah. And look, I think George made this point as well. I think the best picks. You made this point as well. The best picks are the teams that got really good players at their right. Didn't have spots. to move to do it. The Eagles are one of them. It sounded like they were tempted to go get, I think they were trying to get to 16 to get C.D. Lamb. And Atlanta asked for a second rounder. And that's the other, the nature of like on the fly, going through all these simulations. Did anybody expect C.D. Lamb right. to actually be there? I mean, did the Eagles actually practice that? in their mock drafts in the war room. Hey, if CD lamb gets to 15, like we got to go make right. a move. And then in the heat of the moment, it's like, yeah, give me a second. And it's like this complete, like you, ah, he's not worth two players. We'll sit here and we'll get Jalen I mean, Rager. But CD lamb also went to the Cowboys in the division. Right. That's going to be one of those storylines for you. I was making the point that, you know, at the point where CD lamb is in the teens, like how tempted are a team like the Vikings just to start making some phone calls. It's like, look, we, we've got a really small landing pad to nail this. On the other hand, we have ammo, a whole wide receiver. And the best wide receiver on most people's boards is suddenly available at like 15, 16. I, I mean, I don't know if they were calling, but they must have been really tempted. That would have been a hell of a challenge to the discipline, right? Look, we got to stay what we're do- like stay the course. And then suddenly somebody's like dangling a CD lamb in front of you and going, Hey, all it's going to take is, you know, the second rounder. It's, it's tempting. And so the, the, the team who did this the best was the dolphins at five, right? The fact that they sat there, got Tua, and we all made moves that we yeah. were happy. Like we were like, Hey, we'd give up 18. We'd give up 39. Got to go get your quarterback, all that stuff. Well, the dolphins did it better than we all did it in our mock draft because they played the board the right way. They got him at five. Say what you want about Austin Jackson at 18, but at least it's a pick. It's a free pick that you kept. And then the they traded down and got Igbenogany. So the fact that they got Tua and two other lottery tickets in the first round, huge win. Patrick Queen at 28 for the Ravens, really nice. Uh, Rager, who we mentioned at 21 for the Eagles. Dallas sitting there and just you know stumbling into CeeDee Lamb, the same place Derwin James went, right? 17, and that's a... That's a hot spot for talented players to drop. So I think those are my favorite picks with a real good value ones where teams didn't have to trade up to get right, guys. I want to ask you about one more team, and then I want to wrap it up by talking about trades and the fact that forget what was traded, but none of the guy, none of the players that were on the block effectively went anywhere, right? And a lot of those guys, yeah. I think teams were holding out for like a first round pick in value. Obviously, that's gone. Like, unless you're looking for Yannick and right, Gakwe. Unless you're looking for 2021, yeah. your first round pick isn't happening. So let's talk about that at the end. But the one team that um, that I want to mention is, so the Jets draft Mekhi Becton at 11. Um, the tack- So the tackles were what they, Thomas was off the board, Wills was, on the, was off the board, Tristan Wirfs was still there. Um, Becton of the four 
the big four. Us, us, the big four had Josh Jones in it, who didn't get drafted, by the way, which is worth mentioning in and of itself yet, obviously. Um, get him, for everyone else, the big four was the three and Becton instead of Josh Jones. But of that, so if you're saying that's the big four, of the four, Becton is the biggest gamble, right? Because he's the one that doesn't have the proven track record of quality NFL style pass sets on his tape. It's not that he can't do it. It's that we don't really know if he can do it because we haven't seen that much of it. And when we did see it, his grade wasn't great at it. The Jets have now thrown incredible volume of resources at that offensive line. And I agree a hundred percent that they needed to because every single member of last year's group needed to be changed, upgraded upon. If they if six guys, I think they've added now to that offensive line is any single one of them better than a coin flip to be a good player for the jets. No, it's, it's risky. Connor McGovern's coming off. The, I skewed positive when we did this a few weeks ago. Connor McGovern and Alex Lewis, I think, coming off are coming off their best years. Uh, that's about it. I mean, it's all it's it's developmental guys. But I think the strategy, for whatever it's worth, taking Beckton over worse, whatever, the strategy of getting back to average on the offensive line is the right one. I think they played the market. But I don't know that that's instead, the approach they've taken. I think I think in the drafts they they played the market and they said we're going to get some playmakers for Sam Donald. We're just going to do it on day no, two. But my and point we're gonna is, do it later. why wouldn't you take worse over Beckton? So if your strategy is to creep back toward average, right? You want sure things. Yes, I don't think people people didn't evaluate him the same way that we did. It's just it's just what it is. People don't see him as more risky. They they don't. How could you not? They don't view because they don't view it. Like, no. Listen, as much as we are entrenched into every front office, right? PFF IQ is not live yet. We're not entrenched enough. IQ will help us okay. isolate true pass sets and where the, where the holes are. Teams aren't looking this like isn't that. This Teams are looking thing. at This is like, how could you? It's it not. is, though. This is. Because we're the only ones that had Becton as a second round player. Not, and it's because we leaned on the no, data. The, we're the only ones. That's not what I'm saying, right? Well, you can still say that he is a first-round guy based off the fact that he's a man-mountain and moves like a dancer. That doesn't make him less risky. The point is you're saying, I don't care if he's risky. It's the fact that it's the planet theory, right? There's only so many humans walking the earth that are that size and move like that. Therefore, I'm taking him. My, I, because he's not risky to everyone else. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't see how you could look at him and say, this isn't more risky because the biggest thing that he needs to be good at at the NFL is at best an incomplete grade right now. And at most, because a they're negative. not looking because they're not looking at things the same way that we do. We are literally looking at it from a production standpoint. How well did you do in this area? Less than stellar compared to everyone else. They're evaluating saying, what are your traits? You're six, seven, you move really well. You're working with Duke. I'm seeing all your pass sets in practice. I think you could do it. They're saying, can you perform these movements? No. Not how well did if you that block was true. somebody? That's why Austin Jackson goes if at 18. That was true. It's not how well did you block people? It's do you move well enough? Can you if do that it? That was true. Jordan Mailata would have been a first round pick, not an undrafted free agent at the back end. Or where did he go? What, what, anyway, Jordan Mailata would have been a first round pick because that dude moves as well as anybody. That's not, it's there's like, there's tape yeah, you, you, to this. But you know, he never played football. So, so they, it is they're different, looking at right? traits with movement skills. Can you make the movements? It's not like he's incompetent, though. Again, and we're not that far off. We're saying second round because there's a little bit more inherent risk, right? 
They're saying we got maybe our top, ta- top tackle off the board. I'm looking at ESPN right now. He was their number two tackle. We thought lower of Becton than pretty much everyone else. So I don't think they saw it as risky. We view it differently. I don't. We're the, we're the only ones. We'll see what happens. It's fine. And we're not saying he can't succeed. But I don't think they're like, hey, we're going to take another shot. I'm not saying I'm not saying we're right and anybody else is wrong. I don't understand I how you could look at Becton and not agree that he is inherently more risky than at least the other three top tackles. Um, I, I understand why people don't see that. And my I do. Po- I understand their my overall point, point with this is you are if you have to overhaul five members of an offensive line the in order to get back to average you need sure things right because you have to hit you have to change five of them so i need to start taking off some of these spots so that i don't have to worry about them anymore instead what the jets did is they basically flipped a coin six times and hope that that ends up with an overall balance of three and we can take off three spots that feels risky as hell what if they what if the coin comes up tails six times and the line this year isn't any better than it was a year ago. I just don't. I don't think they view him as risky. I like the idea of of building the line first because it's it's coming from such a low baseline, and they're playing the market because of the because uh, of draft picks. Like would CD Lamb getting open quickly help protect Sam Darnold? Yes, but I still think they're in disaster zone for the offensive line. I don't know if this specifically helps them, but the strategy. Pick wise, I, thought I have no five. problem taking a tackle over wide receiver at this spot for the Jets. I'm just kind of fascinated that they went Beckton over Worfs, not because we have him higher, but because I cannot see a scenario where you don't look at Beckton and think that he is a bigger risk than some of these other guys. And we're already gambling with the rest of the picks we made on the offensive line. It's just this, it's now this incredible, um, it's now this incredible strategy of gambling but where you need to get it right. You know right. what else, though? Teams also don't value pass protection. They want guys that can pass protect. They value the run game more than we do. And he's the best projected run blocker. He absolutely crushes people. He might help justify Le'Veon Bell just a little bit. I mean, there's other elements at play where our tunnel vision is pass game, pass protection. How well did you play football, Right. And teams might use that as only 10% of their evaluation when they should probably be sitting there looking at 60 or 70, but that's for another day. That's for PFF IQ to to sell them on the best way to evaluate these guys. Hmm. Okay. All right. So the trade guys, Yannick Ngakwe didn't go. Chris Jones didn't go. I had a whole article of people that could could get shifted during the draft so far. No, it's irrelevant. No, because I think a lot of them are, the value just changed, right? Nobody's going for a first round pick unless it's a 2021 first round pick. And that feels unlikely. Now, the max you're getting out of it is a second or, or multiple picks. I still think guys like Trent Williams, like if the if the Redskins do not shift Trent Williams, they are just shooting themselves in the foot for fun. Um, so I still expect him to move. But I, I was it's interesting that nobody went right first first uh, first day. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I mean, first rounders are tough to give up. So I think that's. The big part of it, you know, um, I think Trent Williams is the guy that makes sense. I think the Chiefs, if they end up with Chris Jones, they're still OK. Like they're they're happy to still have Chris Jones. The Jags, that's the one, you know, Tony Khan and Yannick going at each other on Twitter like something has to happen there. But I don't think there's a first round like would you, I wouldn't trade a first rounder for Yannick and Gakway. No, thanks. I mean, all these moves are people saying good run defender, all around player. 
safe trenches, blah, blah, blah. Yannick, that's not Yannick. Plus, you know, $15 million price tag. So wasn't terribly surprised. It's usually the interesting one because I don't even know if they can afford to keep Chris Jones. Like they're tied up against the cap, obviously with a draft class to sign. Uh, not for more than a year. I, I mean, they well, they my point year. is they need to make some things happen to even get him keep to even keep him for any extent for any period of time at all so i'm kind of i'd be surprised if they don't shift him at some point but chris jones is the one guy that should definitely be bringing back at first so now that trade becomes complicated right because you don't have that's off the table um it's i mean that's just that's intriguing to me i think trent williams gets moved um is there anyone else you think should be moved um, no, I, I thought last night just opened up things like Ryan Kerrigan, but that's not as interesting. Chris is big on you know? the Andy Dalton to New England thing. What do you think of that? Uh, again, I, I think the biggest story here is we get to get into Belichick's mind. I don't, I don't hate it, but like, if you're in New England and you're thinking long term, you're better off figuring out if Jared Stidham has anything. Rather than getting Andy Dalton. I liked George's comment when you brought that up on the show yesterday, which is <laughs> everyone assumes inside of Belichick's mind is this like amazing place of wonder. But what if it's just like a stool and a chalkboard and there's like nothing of interest in there? We get in there, we get to see Belichick's mind when it comes to the quarterback situation. And all it had been before there was like Tom Brady, you know, in a, in a, in a blank white cube. Now Brady isn't there. So there's nothing in the cube anymore. I said it. I said it last week. How how much has the Brady baseline protected Belichick? Mm. Because there are Belichick critics out there who are like, oh, look at all the draft picks he misses on and stuff. Now, he plays the draft better, and he's the one who understands. Who cares if I miss? Last night. And he did it again last night. It's been status quo for them. And, you know, but I still think it'll be interesting to I, see. I'm with you. Which I, way I he goes. do not see the purpose of bringing in Andy Dalton. Like, this, this is not the great Patriots rosters of old, right? Where, you know, Matt Castle came in, won 11 games because the roster was so good. Andy Dalton could have won 11 games on that team, probably more. Andy Dalton may have won 13 games in 2008, right? If he'd been the backup. Um, But this is not that roster. This is not a roster capable of dragging Andy Dalton's average ass to a Super Bowl. Like, that's not going to happen. So at which point, what, what is the benefit? What are you gaining out of that? Like you, your Belichick's sole purpose in life right now should be to find a way of getting a quarterback that makes me a viable contender again, rather than trying to like poodle away the next five years, looking average with a crappy quarterback, whatever you need to do to find an answer at quarterback. If that's Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, I thought they might've taken a run at Tua if he started to slide, whatever the answer is, find a quarterback that can elevate the roster, not spend the next 10 years of your existence working in reverse, trying to elevate crappy quarterback play. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a cross between him with his usual line. Let's uh, we're just going to do what we have to do to we win. Just try to make the team better. We're just trying to win. It's going to be a combination of that and always playing the long-term strategy instead of short-term. So we'll find out tonight, Sam. Let's wrap it up. Round one in the books. I think we're gonna come. We're gonna come back after the draft. We'll go team by team. Uh, we'll figure out how we split it up because we have to give every team their due. We might do eight, you know, one per, one division per pod. Who knows? Well, uh, but we got to give every team full respect. That was just round one. Ton of good players on the board. I see PFF's number twelve. My hard copy here. 
12, 14, 15, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. They're all on the board heading into day two. This is what we predicted. Our value board is a little bit different. So there's a lot of good players to be had here in rounds two, three, maybe even four, seeing how far they drop. So uh, get to pff.com. Drafts 2020 is your promo code. Draft 2020, 30% off all PFF products. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Last night to the draft show, we're live again. If you guys are listening to this live on Friday here, we're going to be Friday night on the YouTube channel. So check us out. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. When do you want to come back, Sam? I'm trying to get you to come back early, not Monday morning. You never know when the next pod's going to drop. When should people expect it? What are we committing yeah, to? I, I well, let's commit to Monday morning, and then let's see if you can convince me doing it earlier makes any sense between now and then. Trying to get Sam on Saturday night to do a draft recap because you guys are going to want it. So um, we'll be back soon to recap the draft. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Enjoy day two. quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action all the football you can handle all in one place so every game that we're talking about right now you guys can re-watch it after the fact i'm gonna be going back and you guys can too go check out lamar jackson in week one go check out dak prescott and what that cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.